The views and opinions expressed by the Love Party Podcast panel participants and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the Good Times of Good People Company, the host, or its sponsors. It's not getting it, getting it. Welcome everybody out there in podcast land. The Good Times of Good People Company proudly presents the Love Party Podcast, where it is always about good times, good people, and good talk. Now that you've received your invitation, the best way to let us know that you're in attendance is to download the party or become official by joining us on Facebook, subscribing on YouTube, iTunes Podcasts, or Google Play Podcasts. Good. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cocktail, light a cigar, or whatever you like to smoke, share us with your friends, and make yourself at home. I'm your host and moderator, Rio, and let's introduce today's panel. So welcome to the Law Party Podcast. I'm your host, Rio. Today on episode 64, but it's right there on tape. We're going to discuss the police shooting uh, incident uh, of unarmed people and how in the blue hell do they keep getting off in these cases? Um, uh, Before we get into important things, let's get into important things. Our bartender Ben couldn't stay, but he did leave his recipe for what we are drinking today. And that is uh, Rieger's, uh, the Rieger Whiskey Horse Feather. A mouthful. Uh, 1.5 ounces of uh, Rieger Kansas City Whiskey, four ounces of uh, Cock and Bull Ginger Beer, and four to five dashes of Angostura Bitters, and a squeeze of lemon. Uh, actually quite tasty and uh, whether you're a, a whiskey drinker or not and I know the anonymous female is not it's actually kind of refreshing even though she's going to make a face that says otherwise but that's what we're drinking and what we're smoking is the Camacho Connecticut uh, the Camacho Connecticut is smooth and it features an uh, Ecuador Connecticut wrapper. Uh, it has a sweet and spicy flavor. It's well balanced with earthy hints of nuts and cedar and touches of pepperiness and citrus. Uh, the result is a full flavored cigar uh, that is pleasantly medium in strength. In Pocket Slam, this is truly uh, creamy and an enjoyable smoke. Sounds like it would be great with the um, horse feather, the ginger beer. And Absolutely. <laughs> like, that just sounds awesome. Absolutely. Too bad I don't like cigars or whiskey. Hey, but you're in a room, <laughs> but you're in a room with two guys that do. I do recognize that that does sound like a great <laughs> uh, And before we move on, let's introduce today's panel. Of course, we've got our returning champion, Chris O'Connor. He's the co-owner of Liquid 9 uh, Entertainment, uh, as well as some other ventures here in the Kansas City area, and the anonymous female, because she doesn't want you to know her name. And before we get uh, any further, I want to do today's RIP. Um, this is... Uh, this is an RIP that's actually kind of hits closer to home for me personally. Um, I, uh, uh, as many of you out there know, uh, am a member of the uh, hip hop community, uh, having 
I've been producing and performing and writing for a lot of years. And uh, one half of the group Mob Deep, uh, the uh, MC prodigy, um, uh, passed away at 42. Um, he had a lot of health issues over the years. And um, so he finally kind of succumbed to uh, some of those issues. And he was actually doing something pretty regular when he passed. He... Uh, he was just eating uh, breakfast, you know, eating eating eggs, and um, and um, he had some 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 throat issues, and um, and as well as other issues, and uh, and uh, we're 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 gonna miss him in the hip hop community. Some of uh, some of my favorite, you know, rap songs, including uh, probably. Hip hop classic shook ones, which um, probably for the broadest audience, um, if you saw um, Eight Mile, the scene where Eminem he goes in the bathroom and you know and he's uh, super nervous and throws up and all of that, the song that's playing in the background is Mob Deep's Shook Ones. Um, and uh, and actually, that beat comes up uh, in that movie quite a bit. Um, people to rap over it was just an incredible track as well. Um, but um, with that, unless somebody else has another R.I.P. that uh, that I didn't uh, didn't catch this week, um, I think with that, we'll be right back. Hey. You can search for The Loft Party Podcast on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and on our Good Times with Good People YouTube channel. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, and if you'd like the content we provide, donate to us on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash loftpartypodcast. You can find all of our links below, and now back to our regularly scheduled program. And we are back, uh, and uh, before we get too deep, let's play a quick party game. So, today's party game question, what drains you or zaps your power? Or, what, what or perhaps who is your kryptonite? And, we, and, and I will accept an answer for either or both. Let's start with... I return to champion Chris O'Connor. Uh, so for me, it would be uh, napping. And people take naps in the middle of the day. I know a lot of people find them recharging and refreshing. They destroy the rest of my day. <laughs> I never wake back up. I can't do anything else. And if I don't stay generally in some sort of constant activity, then I just get wiped out and want to do nothing again. Bed. Yeah. So I, I can't sit around and do nothing. I cannot nap, especially in the middle of the day. I just feel like I'm missing stuff. <laughs> so napping has always been a killer for me. I think as I get older, it's a killer for me. Or maybe it depends on the day. But yeah, generally, if I take a nap, I'm either grumpy or I don't want to do anything else. I just want to lay around and. Mm-hmm. Naps. Hmm. But they say the the ideal nap is 20 minutes. But most people don't do that. 
Yeah, well, yeah, usually I'll, if you want to take a nap, you're like down for an hour or two. Yeah, like to me, you might as well just go to bed for the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, too much, too much mist in that period of time if you're, uh, if you're taking naps like that. Uh, me, personally. Um, uh, not necessarily naps, um, because I really don't take naps unless I'm just dead. Like, I'm already mm-hmm. that kind of tired, and, and, and then it's really not really voluntary. I'm not taking naps. <laughs> I'm just like, I need to lay down. Uh, for the, I tell you, in, in activity, like, just getting up and just doing nothing, uh, that, that zaps me. You know, uh, you know. I know a lot of people. You know, they can lay around all day, and then they can, you know, they can just kind of jump up and be like, "All right, let's get ready and do whatever." At three o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. I'm like, "No, I'm dead at this point." I'm like, "Cause, cause I would kind of wake up, and I need about an hour ish to kind of acclimate to the world, and then I, but then I need to go and do something, and." Uh, past that point and we've had those days where we sat and binge watched something on Netflix or and after a while I think we know if we're going to binge watch that we know that that is what our day is like it's very rare true you know if we even step foot out of the house on those days I was going to say binge watching TV would kill me but it's but it's you know those are the days when um, because for me it, it kind of goes hand in hand with that, but um, for me, it's large crowds and having to have idle chit chat and um, just having to be on for long periods of time. That it just drains me. I mean, it's just like I really have to go somewhere or do something that's absolute quiet. I don't have to talk. I don't. I just need peace but the days that we you know uh, Mario needs to be going all the time and the only way to get him to stop when I when anybody knows that he needs to is to binge watch something (laughs) whether it's a TV series or we watch you know there when you know when we were first dating we we would just pick a day, like maybe it was, you know, minus something in the winter and we knew we didn't want to get out or couldn't get out because, you know, we lived downtown at the time and anybody that lives anywhere near a city, most of them don't clear their streets real well. Um, we would watch a series or something, you know, just whatever series it was of movies. I would, I would even just throw in just winter in general as a kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind winter. I mean, it is, but I, I'm good with. I need sunshine. I'm so much happier and more energetic when, even if it is cold out, if the sun's shining, it's like okay, it's there's life somewhere. Vitamin D. <laughs> I mean, like really. Yeah. Yeah. You said. But yeah, it's it's definitely having to. I do so much better with real conversations than I do with. So, how are you? What do you like? <laughs> blah blah blah. How's the weather? I'm just like. Oh. 
<laughs> we went to we went to a, a friend of ours. Uh, um, oh, your reception went. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like so loud, and so many people were talking. And after an hour, I was like, I'm ready to go. And Mario's still talking. And it was about two hours, two and a half hours later, I think we finally got in the car to leave. And um, only because we had somewhere else we had to be. Otherwise, it probably would have been there longer. And when we got in the car, I was like, can we just not turn the radio on? And honestly, I think you talked all the way home, and I could not tell you even what the conversation was at this point. Because it was just like... Yeah, um, we definitely recharge differently. Yeah, like I tried to listen, but it was just like, <laughs> and I was, I was gone. Yeah, I recharged through activity oh, yeah. and conversation. And, and honestly, Mario doesn't talk that much. Usually it's me talking in the car, but, you know, we got in there and he was like, and I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> it's noise. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. But the radio wasn't on. <laughs> <laughs> That's my trip tonight. Okay. <laughs> I guess with that, we'll be right back. Hey, out there in podcast land, we would not be doing our duty if we didn't acknowledge the sponsors of the Law Party Podcast, the Majestic Restaurant and Jazz Club, and the Majestic's Pendergast Club. The Majestic carries on Kansas City's tradition of great food and jazz. Let them show you why they are the classic Kansas City Steakhouse experience. 931 Broadway, just three blocks from the Kansas City Convention Center. Jay Rieger and Company, a Kansas City distillery. Whether whiskey, gin, or vodka, neat or on the rocks, Jay Rieger, Kansas City, sipping good since 1887. CP Construction, Kansas City's premier wood framers, 50 years of quality framing and craftsmanship. Just email david.cnpservice at gmail.com and start building something new today. And our friend and frequent guest, Lane Boland. Thank you all. For all that you do. Time to rejoin the conversation. Uh, and we're back with party politics. So what we're discussing today is uh, the police shootings of unarmed people. And how in the hell do the police constantly get away with it? I know that there's been a lot of stories. Well, stories is the wrong word. There's been a lot of discussion that kind of diverts from this topic particularly. But um, the without kind of diverting on to other topics or, well, what about this? You know, I, I really kind of wanted to go into this particularly and unpack this particularly because... Um, You know, I know probably from uh, Chris's standpoint, you know, because he's kind of our kind of our historian on the panel. And um, historically, you know, there's probably a fair amount of, you know, data to say that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And um, but I will say that 
I think my issue, and probably a lot of uh, a lot of black people in particular's issue, is that we're now seeing a lot of it actually caught on tape, and you know, probably going back as far as the um, you know Rodney King incident, and that was of course ninety one, ninety two. Seeing these incidents caught, yeah, but I'm just saying. But seeing things caught on tape, yeah. But the way that that tape, the tape that most people saw, wasn't even really the tape. Yeah, it wasn't the full tape. No, it was. That's the danger that we ran into. Yeah, yeah. Which is the reason, actually, that. But I guess you could look at it. um, I'm, I'm, and I cannot remember the man's name, but the guy that. At what point? Okay, if you, not necessarily looking at Rodney King, but uh, I can't remember the the guy's name who was actually running away from the police when they shot him four times in the back. Yeah. Um, at what point do you not become? Is it the Ferguson kid or which No, it wasn't. It was, it was a. It was. I want to say it was in Atlanta, was but I could be. There's one in Cleveland. But they show yeah, somebody. It was Cleveland. like you see yeah. the you see the whole thing, and he's he's fifty feet, if not more, away from the cop. He's running in the opposite direction. There's nothing in his hands, and they still shot him in the back. Like at what point? Even if he was, if he had a knife or a gun or something, he's no longer even, he's running away from the cops. Well, like at no, what point, a gun, but at what point is it okay to, no, I don't think so. I don't necessarily think that that's true because you're not in, you're not, actively running at them you're actively running away from them so you're you're no longer a threat you are a threat you're just how are you a threat when you're running away from someone though you may just not be a threat to that individual cop that doesn't mean you're not a threat okay this particular case they were in a park nobody else was around other than the person that was behind i'm saying this is why i don't like specific one-off examples where we use it to make a, a golden rule which I always feel is the wrong way to go about approaching these things. If you are running somewhere with a knife or a gun and you are running away from police, which I can understand legitimate reasons to run away from the police, I'm going to say there's not a ton of them if you got a knife or a gun in your hand, but generally, uh, you know, let's assume there was a legitimate reason, you become a threat to everybody else that's around. You know, and that's where you start to run into a problem. And I'm not going to excuse shooting somebody four times in the back, but I also am not going to excuse this, that he was unarmed entirely. But, yeah, I agree with you that, you know, it seems you would think, just like we've had other conversations, that you would think the statistics are on the rise and this is becoming this huge problem. It's just becoming a more publicized problem. In fact, it's probably infinitely less in terms of statistics, which would be interesting. Because I think they used to get away with it all the time because there was no tape. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, In fact, I pulled up a few statistics because I knew we wind up in the statistic conversation. Um, So there was a study done in uh, San Diego uh, in 2014 that says when when drivers uh, are visible, uh, and in particularly um, their race and ethnicity is visible, um, black drivers were nearly 20% more likely to be pulled over 
um, as part of a discretionary uh, traffic stop than white drivers. That's just that's just that's my kind of first statistic. I pulled a, pulled quite a few uh, statistics out that I thought it was interesting. Um, among males aged 10 years or older uh, who were killed by police, um, you, by police use of force, um, the morality, the mortality rate among non-Hispanic and um, non-Hispanic Black and Hispanic individuals was um, 2.8, um, 2.8 for Black and 1.7 uh, for Hispanic times higher. Uh, than, than uh, their white counterparts. Uh, I, had a f- I found a few things that I just thought were really interesting. Um, the rate with which police use force on blacks is 3.6 times higher um, as the rate on whites. Checking the back of some of these because it was I, like I, I was finding all kind of crazy crazy uh, Stats. Um, da, 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 da. According to the data, this is done in 09, um, out of all violent crimes in which uh, someone was charged, black Americans were charged uh, with 62% of robberies and 57% of murders and 45% of assaults, assaults in the country's 75 biggest counties, despite the fact. Um, that black Americans make up just 15% of the population in those places. You know, it, it, well, that, that right there, to me, screams a level of bias that uh, goes kind of unspoken, which I think is the reasoning that I wanted to really talk about this particular subject I, it's not be, like I don't have anything particularly against the the cops, and I'm not um, saying that um, that the people who got got shot or got killed were you know uh, angelic and innocent. What I am saying is, more often than not, at least here in recent history, what we're finding is. You know, and it's actually kind of crazy because you got on you even just got on YouTube and you find these videos of, you know, like you can get a white guy, you know, with an with a AR-15 assault rifle pointed at the cops, uh, and they find a way to subdue him without gunfire. Whereas, uh, actually, the next uh, person, anyway, on the on the list, uh, and rest in peace to him, uh, Philando Castile. Uh, is sitting in the car with his with his family, you know, and uh, and uh, and is trying to calmly explain to the cops what what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. Just so you know, I do have a firearm, I do have a permit. I'm going to get my license, like you asked. And but as soon as he says I have a firearm, the you see the cop just go into full panic mode and winds up shooting him four or five times. While he's still sitting in the car, he hasn't reached for anything. He hasn't gotten anything, and um, I think we, that's I mean, what. That I, and and that, that cop got off, it, it, which which sparked me to go. Okay, we've kind of touched this subject in weird ways. 
through with lots of other subjects on the show, but we've never talked about it directly. And, and, and I will I will say I will say this. I will say this. The one difference in this one is he he. He was acquitted of the crime, or not found guilty of the crime, mm-hmm. but the police department fired him. Did let, yeah, they did fire yeah. him. Yeah, I will, I will so give them he that. He went through a jury trial, but the police department still felt that he was not the right person for you know, Absolutely. and let him go. But even, but even his partner said he didn't see a reason for him to shoot him, yeah. and he was on the on the other side of the car. So how so, did, did twelve of our peers come to the conclusion that he? Well, you was have to. The problem is, you have to remember that it's innocent until proven guilty, and you have to be innocent. What is it? Or guilty beyond, beyond a, a shadow? Yeah. yeah, not beyond a shadow, a shadow of a doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt. Right, and there's always one person. If one person holds out. Yeah. And you start convincing when other people. Out, then it's generally a hung jury as you just Unless you can convince other people yeah. that during your deliberations. But yeah, I mean, that is the one difference that we found in this one is even though he was found not guilty, the police department still let him go. I guess it, to, to assume that one person swayed 11 people who all saw the same thing. I, I find very hard to believe. I don't. I, I do. I mean, like, you're assuming <laughs> that there's 11 people without any moral conviction, but there's one person who said and convinced 11... No, I think that people... Idiots. I think that it is hard to... Um, I mean, even when I, when I was in high school, I took a criminology... I had to take a criminology class. But our uh, teacher had had sat in on a murder trial and it was um, he said it's the hardest thing you ever have to do to hold somebody's life in your hands and say that they are so even though you may feel they're guilty you're you don't want to be the one to say I'm going to sentence you to whatever the sentence is and, and but they don't have sentencing power, so there's none of that. The judge is, does this. But you don't think that you are different in that respect because of, of your background. Most people don't go into a, tri- a trial and think. I mean, I've heard it from people that I know that have been on juries or that don't want to be on jury duty because they don't want to have to make the decision that this person is guilty or not, whether it's sentencing or not. They know if they say guilty, then there is a sentence involved, whether it's them or not. And they know that they're the ones that have to decide, okay, we're going to allow someone to say. You I, know, it, it's I a, it's give a, more trust to the American public than that. And I genuinely uh, feel like, one, none of us watched the trial, so we don't know exactly what all the evidence was. So I will throw that out. Mm-hmm. And I will throw it as an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> Uh, the verdict to the OJ trial where everybody goes guilty, guilty, guilty and I'm like no, I watch it every day there was more than enough reasonable doubt to let it go so sometimes they do it right I think juries take their responsibility very seriously you know, for the most part and I'm willing to give some sort of latitude until I hear them explain what was missed that 
I don't know because I wasn't in the courtroom. Yeah. But when all you do is live on Twitter and headlines and stuff like that and these short little stories that are increasingly more and more one-sided, you know, it's, it makes it a very dangerous place to be. Well, and Mario and I talked about that, that you want to believe in your heart that this person was wronged, but you don't know all the facts. And you only know what the lawyers and the media are willing to say. And we know that lawyers will spin. I mean, it's their job. Yeah, that's, they that's spin things for their client. Yeah, of course. You know, and it, it, I, I, the I media will. spins things the way that we they want their... We also don't know what the judge excluded from the trial. We don't know any of right. those things. I mean, all those things make a difference that are for legitimate legal reasons are actually there to protect the innocent far more than they're there to try to convict the guilty. And, and I so get, this is where people, I think, go a little bit south. They go, well, this seems so obvious. I don't know what the judge allowed in and what he did. I don't know what legal arguments they were allowed to make and not make, but I will say most of the time evidence is excluded or a particular legal line of defense is excluded it was designed to protect people that were innocent, not to convict people that were guilty, and which I think is a better system. I, and I totally get what you're saying. I don't disagree with it. But at the same time, how many times does the same, not even the same, similar situations keep happening before you realize that it may be a broken system. How many of those are you starting with the facts were? And how many of those happen all in the same spot? So when you say it's a broken system, actually... I think it is a broken system. Well, I think well, that wait, there are a lot of police officers... That, you're assuming that there's a national system. I'm not saying there's not. In fact, Kansas City is the only city left without, major city, without control of its own police department. So the assumption that there's actually a system... Isn't there a reason that they don't have control of their own police department? No. You know, you know why they don't? Why? It goes back to the mid-30s when we had Don Pendergast, who was actually our crime boss, who, uh, Irish, you know, political corruption, etc., classic mm-hmm. case. But he put... Johnny Lazio, who was the head of the Italian mob, as the head of the chief of police. And so then, a couple years later, you had the Union Station Massacre, and people decided, you know what, maybe it's a really bad idea to have a mobster be the head of the police department. The state's going to take control of the police departments in uh, Missouri. So that's what happened. So it wasn't something that happened recently or anything else. That was the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, I hear I hear the points being made and I have to say something that I don't normally say. I have to say something that Chris normally says. I just disagree. <laughs> uh, yes, I do uh I do recognize that from a purely legal standpoint, um, all of these things make sense. But just 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 from a purely emotional argument, which I normally don't make, but from a purely emotional argument, uh, as as a black person. 
It is incredibly difficult, at best, you know, uh, to... And, 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 and I'm not just talking modern history. I'm talking about American history at this point. Sure. To constantly um, have black people killed by now police uh, before that you know just lynch mobs before that you know plantation overseers and it seems as if the system is not set up to give a good goddamn if we live or die and and I think that's where the frustration really comes from. You know what I'm saying? The historical frustration, I completely understand it. If you went through all those things, I'm with you 1,000%. I'm saying we're talking about, right now, individual incidents in several different cities. There is no national system. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So you have to assume that people all over America Mm -hmm. somehow share this viewpoint and I find it hard to believe. And, and again, maybe this is a bit of no. Actually, it's not. There are people. There are super races everywhere you go. I will give you that. But I also think it'd be difficult to. Every time you stop somebody, you don't know what the hell's going to happen to you. Most major big cities, uh, crime reduction efforts focus on individual neighborhoods. And oh yeah, absolutely. Go these neighborhoods. You know, these I mean, a lot of you know, which is actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just proposed this in Kansas City last week. Yeah. This was our solution to cutting out on crime in Kansas City is to take people off a of traffic patrol and put them into uh, the most dangerous neighborhoods of the city and see what happens. <laughs> you know, like, well, didn't yeah. we talk about that last week too? That's about well, right. Don't you, you, put people exactly. in areas in the, that they're scared of. Right. Uh, if all you do is write tickets all day, exactly, and all of a sudden now you're now, now you're uh, you're a patrol yeah. cop. Uh, so out there in podcast land, we actually uh, do have at least uh, we don't always have, but we do have at least one um, uh, audience member today. Um, and uh, what's your name, my man? My name is Jordan. What's your last name? Jordan Bradbury. Jordan Bradbury. Uh, uh, Jordan, um, uh, I'm going to uh, deputize you, and I'm going to bring you into this conversation. <laughs> Why? That's cool. Because because yeah, it might be the wrong word. Might be the wrong word. But but being uh, being the other black person in the room, um, you may be able to uh, chime in on at least. Uh, at least the emotional part of it, if maybe not some factual parts of things. For sure. So, um, so please join us. Yeah, this crap on that And uh, so, I was reading um, in this um, in an article. It said that up until 2014. Um, they don't, uh, it's a simple and important question, but until this year, which was 2016, the shocking answer is we have no idea. It's how many people are killed by police. There's no central authority systematically keeping track of killings by law enforcement, and police in most states are not required to report the use of lethal force to anyone. 
Yeah, I mean, what so, statistics we do have, what I could find was uh, like FBI investigation. Right. That's what I was going to say. The FBI annual crime report does keep track of homicides reported by police as justified killings by police as defined by the FBI. Justifiable homicide by law enforcement means the killing of a felon by a police officer in the line of duty. So They don't have to say if it was... And, and also, they... they are responsible for self-reporting. Yes. And they change what the... Right. That's, that's, that's where this goes. It's like, you, it's they ridiculous. have to rely on what the what each department or each city or whatever decides that they're going to release. Yeah. And that, and that alone is problematic. I mean, so... I mean, look. At the end of the day, it's... Okay. Perfect example. Uh, which... Uh, how he creeps into everything, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, our president, it's voluntary for you to give your tax returns. Even though every president in the modern era, I won't say every president, but every president in the modern era has given them. But since it was voluntary, he didn't give his because he didn't have to give his. That is That to me is... Okay, so I, I see a couple problems. One, um, you have the police department's self-report, which to me is a problem. So you decide what you're going to report and if you're going to report. Well, and to, it says in this article that uh, justified and unjustified is relative. You know, it, to to the to the to the to it, the police force. Yeah, because yeah, to them, justified is a generic murder, and there's no. I mean, like, why would they need to report on it? It was justified. Exactly. And yeah. justify and unjustified is hard to prove because it, it's the police department that decides it. Exactly. So it's like that. That is the type of thing to me that is quite diff. That, that's problematic. Um, because if that's the case, you know, um, like if if something if something happens and I go on trial, that's like me saying, okay, um, I am going to pick my jury, <laughs> like, and uh, you know, I'm gonna pick every you know forty seven year old black dude from South Side of Chicago because. <laughs> Because they'll understand me best, which uh, is awesome, but <laughs> legally that could be problematic because um, they may understand me too well and they may let me off with some crap <laughs> that I shouldn't get let off for, and and which is why we're having this conversation in the first place. But I do want to get to some of the reasons of how we got here. I'm not here. So that's just in general. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to listen in and, and uh, kind of bring myself up to speed. Okay, so, so I will say uh, it came in after we started our topic, no, but I will say this. So our topic today is uh, police shootings of un- unarmed people and how in the hell do they keep getting off? Do the cops yeah. keep getting off for it? Yeah. Um, and we kind of touched on Philando Castile and... Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and and as far back as at least Rodney King, so we're not 
necessarily talking fully historic, but we are talking in the era of being able to be caught on camera for it. You know, like, how is it that, you know, cops aren't being prosecuted more when they're caught on camera doing doing it? But I will say, uh, in Chris's defense, uh, and Chris comes from a family of lawyers, let, let's just say that, so he understands the legal system a little bit better than most people. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't know what uh, is allowed or not allowed in the courtrooms, um, you know, uh, and uh, you know we we don't know if you're not watching the trial, you don't know what the jury makeup is, you know. So there's a lot of things at play as to why they could be getting off. Um, but I do have another question. And that is, um, it seems to me, because this is happening across the country, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem to be localized to one city or whatever, or one state, or, you know, like, do we have real training issues? Like, it, it seems to me, <clears throat> with the war on drugs, um, we militarized almost a, a, a lot of our urban police forces. Right. And um, and what I know about the military is um, you get trained for your eight or nine weeks or if you're a Marine, 13 weeks. Well, and they send you overseas with your uh, AK-47 and, and say, we need to secure this area. Now, what happens when you secure this area is you're not policing that area, you're occupying that area um, for your ends. You're not occupying it for just the citizenry to be safe. You're occupying it so that you can be safe and you can operate in that area the way you need to operate in it. Well, it seems to me that we've done that to American cities at this point. And uh, so... Before I go any further with it, I want to throw that to the to the panel and see what the feelings are. Um, I, I think I'd say this. I think that regarding the training protocol and the uh, the just downright readiness of whoever is in charge uh, policing that area. Um, Where's the line on the actual accountability to make sure these individuals have psych checks, to make sure their background is, um, in essence, uh, um, in essence, clear, or that they have a proven track record of choosing right versus wrong uh, in high pressure situations. Um, because in my humble opinion and just based on, on what I know you rarely see uh, like highway patrolmen, sheriffs in, in these same issues with um, essentially fearing their lives in a traffic stop and opening fire uh, I guess why is that? That's and a good point the, the, is, is, Do they have uh, a, a training that is, is more intense or uh, they go through a different vetting process or what have you. Um, 
and again, my humble opinion, I think that a lot of the times that you have officers policing areas, like you, you stated uh, over a cigar a couple of days ago, they're not usually from those areas. And it's, it's different to understand uh, the nomenclature or the dress code or what have you of an area that is essentially a foreign land. Um, and then let's just be honest, we have to understand like a lot of these guys and gals are getting up every morning and going to work just like we are. And if you, if you humanize this to an extent and, hey, um, maybe they're having a bad day, maybe something's on their, on their mind that, you know, would put in a high-stress situation, is to a fight with their wife that morning. Yeah. Correct, correct. So they, so they have to, um, I actually had a friend that went through, um, that tried to apply to the police academy and for Kansas City. They do have to go, and this is just trying to get into the academy. Right. They do have to go through a memory test, a physical test, a psych evaluation. There's four parts to it. I don't remember what the other part is. But they don't have to do that again. Like, once, you, once you've, you've um, been cleared and you're, you know, the psych, I think, is the last piece that they do. Yeah, and then just and, so you're, and, you're good to go after that. Yeah, just, okay. so once you become a police officer, you make it through, that gets you into the academy. Then once you, I can't remember how long police academies are. I, I want to say they're a year, but I can't fully remember. I mean, there's at least five and, movies. Yeah, <laughs> at least five. Um, Answer human be But once you make it past that, like the only thing you have to do to to continue is you have to pass a physical evaluation every year, and that evaluation is walking a mile within a walking a mile within a certain amount of time. Wow. You don't have to run. That's why you have a lot of overweight cops. You know, I mean, it's just like there's no other, you know process to go through every so many years maybe not every year but to me you should have to go through a psych evaluation yeah every and, uh, couple years yeah you know, i mean yeah. they have a oh it's a firearms they have to they have to um qualify, qualify every year and they have to do, walk a mile within a certain amount of time too. but but i i think to kind of your point of yeah. why sheriffs and um highway the highway patrol i think it's they're not in urban situations as much. They're, and I shouldn't say urban. They're not in neighborhood situations as much. They're out on the highways. They're out in rural areas. They're out in places where you don't typically see... I mean, most people on a highway aren't getting out and shooting people randomly. You know, it's... You just don't see the same type of behavior in, in people in those situations as you do in, in neighborhoods and in, in city areas that, that local cops do. That, that makes sense. And to, to play devil's advocate, you'd almost want to say, well, if they are in situations like that more often mm-hmm. and they are you know, prone to dealing with violence and erratic shooting and whatsoever, shouldn't they have a little bit more poise or be guarded and understand how to handle high-pressure situation or uh, situation. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think, think that, that I think that you should have the, the level of training. I mean, I, I don't know how they decide who's going where or what neighborhood. You know, I know that most cities in Kansas City, you have to live in the city that you 
um, work for. Right. But that's a large area, you know, that whether it's Lee Summit, Independence, Blue Springs, whatever, you have to live within that city limit. But, I mean, well, look at a, Kansas City. I think one of the things that you pointed out that has been proven statistically to make an enormous difference is actual neighborhood professionals, the people yeah. that live in the area, that actually mm-hmm. know the people. Right. You know? Yeah, like, live in, live in the actual neighborhood that you... Yeah, mm-hmm. I at the grocery store. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've talked about that yeah. many times yeah. Yeah. here. It's, it's, a, it's a real difference... When, you know, Officer Brown uh, patrols this area, but he also lives in this area. So when he sees, you know, Johnny misbehaving, right. you know. He's going to call his mom he, and have his bubble. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's not thinking like, like uh, oh, my God, I'm fearful of my life. He's thinking, Johnny, sit down, sit I'm going to call your mama. Right. And, 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 to, 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 and kind of back to, to, to my point uh, earlier is, I mean, having a bad day for an officer, does, does that make it right to shoot someone? Unequivocally, yeah. no. It's just, I mean, in, in that situation, there is no rule book. There is no, this is what you should do. I mean, and on any stage of this thing, it's almost, if, if the line is, if you're in fear for your life, then you protect your life. How does one quantify a fear for one's life? I, I mean, you know, it's it's that can be a number of things. Yeah, it, it, because that always seems to be what the argument winds up being that equates well, these are, me, these officers. Why does it have to be deadly force? When did and I get you know maybe somebody's on drugs and they're not going to be as prone to stop if you know, you get shot in the arm or the leg or whatever. But why does it always have to be deadly force? Well, it, from my understanding, um, it, I've always been told that officers are trained to kill. I mean, if, 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 if you draw your firearm and you have to use it, then you, you're trained to actually kill. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's officers that wake up in the morning, go out in the field, and they don't come home at night because... Yeah. Of, of whatever may have happened. And with that in your mind, with, like I said, just bringing it back to the, to, to the human standpoint of, you know, these officers and these ladies having children, wives, kids. I mean, that's on their mind as well every time they strap up to go to work. Um, and not, not defending any, anyone or any party, but it's with that sort of pressure, uh, as it is when you walk out the door, you don't know that it's going to be your last. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have that type of pressure in my job. Um, and I'm sure... A large percent of, of, of people that go to work every day don't have to wonder, hey, will I come back home at night? So I think that coupled with an intense situation, coupled with uh, a group or a demographic that you really have no genuine understanding of, uh, a foreign land. I mean, there's some areas, if you go East Truce and you don't know what's going on, it's like, well, let me hightail to the first intersection and get out of here. Um, so I think all of that coupled with the, the most important, where's the line with your authority and, and my dignity and my respect? I mean, as soon as you think that I, I may or may not be doing something right or wrong, you have <coughs> the authority to, hey, come and grab me, or hey, let's get you in these cuffs, and then let's talk, versus, hey, look, can we just, what's going on? I, I, I see you do this, or whatever it may have been. 
Um, what, what's, what's the line, you know, with, with that? I think that it's, it's almost, you know, hey, uh, proven guilty automatically. Well, and it's like, um, you know, are you afraid to even have a conversation? And if you are, then this probably isn't the line of business for you. You know, uh, if you are afraid yeah. to actually say, I, I can't have a conversation with you unless you're in handcuffs, that's a problem. Right. I, I would throw this, which I think is weird and I think makes a similar point to what both of you were saying. I find it awkward that it's generally white cops shooting black, you know, teenagers right. for the most part. Why isn't a black cop scared to stop a white dude? <laughs> they generally are just as crazy and have as many guns and not Yeah, and I think that I think that really does kind of speak to my point. It's okay, so well, it's patrolling white officers because the one lady, it was a female that shot that guy that was in his truck. Sure, that's what I'm saying. That, that's my point. Yeah, like, it, if it's you're in a familiarity and all these things are done in the neighborhood and, and I agree that that is a huge part of it, a large part of it. If I was a black cop in Leewood, I'd be scared out of my mind to some degree because <laughs> there's a lot of crazy white people in Leewood or Raytown or wherever you want to go. Right? I mean, I would have the same, I don't know if I'm coming home kind of thing too. Right? I mean, I've been to Chiefs games, they're not always that fun. <laughs> You know, you know. Actually, I think uh, I think right there is where we have to put a pin in it this week. But uh, we are definitely going to do a part two of this, and we're going to talk. And in that part two, we're going to talk specifically about how race ties to it, because um, I think that question of why isn't it just as bad in reverse speaks to kind of the overall problem. But uh, with that, we're going to have to stop this section of the podcast uh, and stop talking about party politics. And we'll be right back. Hey, you having a good time? Let me introduce you to a couple of my media brothers. First, www.americathemixtape.com, a cipher on American politics, society, and culture. And where'd I get that mixtape? Of course, www.cornerbodega.us, purveyors of urban culture. Come on, let's get back to the party. And we're back, and uh, before we get out of here, um, we're going to talk about today's sugar honey iced tea. And for those uh, that don't know, these are things that I, or a member of the group, have found that are really cool, a.k.a. The shit. And uh, today's sugar honey iced tea is pickleball. Um, so, a few weeks ago. Chris is like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Pickleball. I used to have a pickleball court in my backyard. <laughs> so, uh, uh, full disclosure, up until a few weeks ago, had never heard of pickleball. No idea what this was. Uh, wound up going and uh, playing pickleball with. Uh, with my job and then uh, the anonymous female and I and some uh, family members we all got together and we played pickleball over the weekend and uh, we had uh, a ball and uh, just so we didn't play it like 
Oh uh, yeah, we didn't. We, we didn't tried know. to keep score, and we were just like, screw it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't really follow any rules or anything. We just kept it on the court yeah, in the it area cool. it was supposed to be in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like we didn't. We didn't. So um, pickleball. Um, ah, here it is. Uh, thank you. Uh, pickleball is a uh, paddle sport created for all ages and skill levels. Uh, the rules are simple, and the game is easy for beginners to learn. Um, you can develop pretty quick. It's pretty fast-paced and, and fairly competitive um, once you get experienced players. Um, so it combines elements of tennis, badminton, and ping-pong. Um, uh, and you play it on a badminton-sized court um, that's slightly modified um, with a tennis net. And you play with uh, a paddle and a ball that's kind of like a wiffle ball, so it's got holes in it. Similar to ping pong paddles. Yeah, uh, like yeah, like oversized ping pong paddles, and uh, and you can play it uh, doubles or singles. Um, so it's what's so one uh, I found, uh, and uh, anybody else in the room who's played pickleball, uh, I please uh, please chime in. But I found that actually pickleball was actually really fun. Uh, and uh, I talked to a friend of mine earlier today who, uh, I'm originally from Chicago, and so is he. But he had spent some time living in Mississippi for a while. And, uh, and uh, to quote him, man, they be playing pickleball down south. They got leagues and everything. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so, uh so, uh, my initial response was, black people don't play pickleball, uh, but maybe... Uh, well, you didn't think black people went on float trips either, and you well, found out that I, wasn't I, true. Well, I found out that there was one black person that went on float trip. I don't know if it's still true that black people go on float trips, but uh, if that one young lady who went on a float trip is listening... Uh, you're in an anomaly, and I would love to talk to you further in depth about your float trip experience. But... Uh, what did you think about playing pickleball? I had a good time. I, I think, um, like, we decided not to really keep score because we are such beginners that we were just like, let's just get down the techniques and what we're supposed to be doing and then worry about um, keeping score. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I thought it was fun. It was good exercise and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my nephew was the youngest one. He was 13, and then yeah. uh, my sister-in-law was the oldest one there. So, I mean, she's quite a bit older than that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, um, it's even fun to watch. Like, my parents can't play, but they came and, and hung out and had fun. And, I mean, it, it was a good time. We had yeah. a good time. So, you say you had a pickleball court in the backyard? It, it wasn't. It was an accident. That was just there when you got the house. But it was really, like, three quarters of the time it was a basketball court. Ah, okay. And then my sisters played tennis a lot. Oh, okay. Now, and okay. so, we, it's not quite big enough to be a big real, real tennis, tennis court. court right? So, they just put up a net and we call it a pickleball court. And we had the little paddles and stuff. Oh, of course. It was super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was very fun. So, uh, so my question to you, good sir, has uh, had you ever heard of pickleball for today? I've heard of it. No, I have not played it. Okay. So, uh, my suggestion to you is, I do. I actually have a fourteen-day-old son. 
14 days. Shout out, baby Noah. Awesome, awesome sauce. So, so that actually opens up a whole floodgate of other sugar honey iced teas. One, both of you two being new fathers. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, uh, are you excited to uh, get out there and uh, and teach your son all of the cool man shit to do, as it were? And teach your daughter all the, the stuff to avoid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, um, I, I think that. Uh, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Uh, I'm just taking them one day, one diaper at a time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah, one, 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 one diaper at a time. And just, I think that just quite honestly being realistic, I mean, just being there every day, um, allowing him to see my face and just have that physical support, I think that that's like half the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all the, you know, uh, nuances of personalities and, what I may or may not be able to teach him or what he may pick up, I think that that's just going to simply come from him sitting in the living room with me and seeing what I do versus uh, what I tell him and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, like I said, one diaper at a time, uh, making sure that, you know, I fall in line with my wife's needs um, so she's happy. Exactly. Uh, and because, you know, she's his first teacher. So um, I think that, you know, um, my job is just is, is really one day at a time. It's just a blessing, honestly, to be able to uh, even be in a position. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's, it's joyful. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that, That's is. Great. that is awesome. So, uh, when when your wife is ready, right, uh, take her out to play pickleball. Okay. I think she'll. I think I think you guys will. I think you'll wind up. Uh, so my wife is very competitive. Oh yeah, yeah. She'll love yeah, this because it's it's yeah. it's kind of goofy. It's kind of fun, but it's but if you get any good at it, uh, I can definitely see how this would bring out the competitive nature in anybody who is competitive. Well, we weren't very good at it, and it was bringing out the competitive nature in several of the people that were playing over the weekend. Oh yeah, absolutely. There were a couple of uh, low, fast serves and oh, yeah. returns from my brother. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> was a couple of whiz past my head. I was like, hey, hey, man, hey. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen it uh, or where you live, but there's a chicken and pickle over in um, North Side. North, yeah, yeah, North Kansas City. For some reason, I'm thinking Westport, but yeah, well, uh-huh. there was well, we had seen the shop right, but they didn't put one in though, mm-hmm. did they? It was it's if you go. I think there's one in Leewood, and there's one not chicken and pickle. There's a pickleball place in right. Leewood, and then chicken and pickle is on uh-huh. Burlington, uh-huh. right by right before you get to Armor. Okay, going yeah. going that yeah, that yeah, direction north from of here. The river. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, like I said. There's other stuff there to do too. They have an indoor and outdoor court, and it's um. I mean, it's the indoor is really just. I mean, it's got these huge garage doors that open, so it's just covered. So it was nice because it was sunny on Saturday, but we've had the breeze and not the sun beating down on us, so it was nice. But they had um, they have um, like uh, Connect Four and washers and cornhole and. All these other games wow. that you can play, and it's a full. They have a you know food and a full bar there, so okay. it's yeah, it's 
It's a good. Um, it's a weirdly fun spot. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a it's a good it's um, casual date. Yeah, or, or couples or whatever yeah. you know, however yeah. you want to do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, with that I wasn't expecting, but I thought it was the shit. Yeah. And with that, I'm going to end this podcast in the way I end all podcasts, and that is with the toast that started it off for me, and that is to good times with good people.